0: Do you notice something wrong in the world today? Can you feel it? Are you ready for it? More importantly, do you know Christ? Ezekiel 33.3 He sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Welcome to the podcast. Introducing your host, Jason Hogan. Welcome everyone to
1: episode two. Today's podcast is going to start with a very controversial topic for Christian believers, but this topic is very important to me and I won't back away from it because it's of great importance. My pilot episode was an introduction to let you know who I am, what kind of content you could expect from me, but this episode is really the first one where I get down to business if you listen to this podcast listen to it from start to finish please don't get triggered and stop it i want you to hear the entire debate so listen to the very beginning to the very end before you come to a conclusion i ask that everyone who is listening today does not harden their heart when hearing this because if you stand for jesus christ then you must absolutely you must stand for the truth you cannot bend the bible in ways that appeal to your heart as we know, the heart can be deceitful, as we read in Jeremiah 17:9, which I'll read momentarily. When we read the Bible, we must accept it for what it says, or it is not Christ you're serving, but yourself. This is my appeal for you all today. Regardless of what you think you know or what you have heard, do not harden your heart like the Pharaoh, and you may learn something very pivotal today. This topic I'm going to speak on is by far one of the greatest deceptions that has entered the church. And while I'm not going to focus on where it came from, I will prove to my listeners it is nothing short of a deception we must all learn to break free from. Some of you have already broken the spell, but many of you are still under it. Today we're going to explore the topic of whether or not to keep the Ten Commandments. This topic is one I'm quite passionate about, and I'm prepared to fight the good fight, because I comprehend just how important this is in our world today. I know I'm going to share some points that aren't very popular, but I'm not looking to be popular. I could care less about being famous. I'm here to serve, and I wouldn't be serving you if I didn't tell you the complete truth. This is my introduction for the podcast, so please, get comfortable, get ready to focus, and get ready to discern, and let's do this. I'm going to start by reading two scriptures that really speak to today's topic, starting with Jeremiah 17 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'll repeat that again. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What Jeremiah is pointing out is that our feelings can be deceptive. Be careful not to think with your heart, my fellow disciples. Please leave the discerning up to the mind. Scripture number two is going to be 2 Timothy 4.3, which reads, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So my question for the listener is, are you discerning with the mind or being deceived by your hearts? And are you following sound doctrine supported by what is written in the Bible or just something that suits your own desires? I've put a lot of thought into this topic over the years as to how I would approach it, but today I'm definitely ready. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to help break the spell. To assist in this attempt to deprogram and undo the spell, I'm going to ask some very necessary questions to make sure we're on the same level of knowledge to ensure that this deception completely falls apart. I will place all of these resources on the Ezekiel 33.3 website with the podcast. And those of you catching the podcast from YouTube, The resources will be shown directly on the screen. Now, for my first question Who wrote the book of Colossians? Well, the answer is Paul. You can verify this on Bible Gateway, as just one example, in their March 14, 2016 post titled Letters to the Church Paul's Epistle to the Colossians. This article was written by Andy Rao, who is the former senior manager of content placed on Bible Gateway, who presently works at Calvin University. I'm going to quote from a portion of Andy's article, which reads It's widely believed that Paul's letter to the Colossians was written in 62 AD during Paul's imprisonment in Rome, around the same time he wrote his epistles to the Ephesians and Philippians. So my first point is that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians. The next question, who wrote the book of Romans? I'm going to quote from zondervanacademic.com. Once again, you'll find all of these resources listed in order on the Ezekiel 33.3 website. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul there's been almost no debate about this in the scholarly world over the years though the authorship of some of Paul's letters in the New Testament has been vigorously debated I believe that Paul wrote all of them in the New Testament there really hasn't been any debate about the book of Romans so far we can see that the book of Colossians and the book of Romans were written by the Apostle Paul the next question I have is who wrote the book of Galatians I don't need to look much farther than the first few verses of the book of Galatians itself, which begins with, Paul, an apostle, sent not by men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches of Galatia. I don't think anyone is going to argue with me when I say that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Now, before I go on, I want everyone to lock into their minds that Paul wrote Colossians, Romans, and Galatians it's very important and you'll see why shortly but just for now remember those details the next area we're gonna look at is a very popular verse from the book of Colossians which I'm sure many of you know but we're gonna take a look at the Greek words not just the English Colossians 2:14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross This verse is just one piece of the puzzle behind this deception. Christian believers will point to this verse and tell me, see Jason, it says right there, Paul said that the law was nailed to the cross, and then provide me with a series of other supporting scriptures. But before we start jumping around through Romans and Galatians, let's analyze this verse a lot more carefully. I'm going to examine the English words first within the verse of the KJV translation, and then I'll go into the Greek. Let's read that again. Colossians 2 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross Now we can all agree that something in this verse in Colossians was nailed to the cross The controversy is whether or not it was the Ten Commandments the law that was handed down to Moses Now the first few words that read blotting out the handwriting of ordinances brothers and sisters I have a question for you Were the Ten Commandments handwritten? Did Moses scribe these with a pen and some parchment? I seem to recall they were written on two tablets of stone. Let's confirm by going back into the Old Testament and confirming what exactly happened when Moses received that law. Was Moses responsible for writing the law down? Exodus 32, 16. The tablets were the work of God and the writing of the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Exodus 32.16 conveys that it was the writing of God, not Moses, and in Exodus 34.1 we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the original ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablet which you broke. Even after Moses destroyed the first two tablets, the second set were also written on by the Lord himself, not Moses. So we can absolutely confirm that Moses did not write on either set of the two tablets of stone. It's also important to point out that both sets of the tablets were written in stone. I once had a Christian try to tell me that one set was made from wood, but as we can see in Exodus 32 and Exodus 34, both sets of the 10 commandments were written into stone and not by Moses, but by God himself. Moses even confirms this fact in Deuteronomy 5:22 when he said the Lord spoke these commandments in a loud voice to your whole assembly out of the fire the cloud and the deep darkness on the mountain he added nothing more and he wrote them on the two tablets of stone and gave them to me so again we have further confirmation these two tablets of stone were written upon by God Before I go any farther, I'm going to point out something very obvious, which is stone tablets probably don't nail themselves very easily to wood. I'm sure you would need a drill to pull off such a feat and bore a hole into the stone, but don't worry, we'll get there soon enough.
2: So the way we're attaching this wood to brick today is with a ram set, and it's this gun that I have in my hand. It's a pretty cool tool, it's a fun tool to use. It uses a 3 inch fastener, that's the fastener we're using today and it just goes in the tip of the gun little plastic piece, the orange piece holds it in place push it down to the washer and you're good to go there then it actually takes a little um, like a real gun it's a powder actuated gun so we'll just put this in the chamber and these are what they look like when they're done it gives it a good blast just like a shotgun or something and it'll, it'll shoot this nail and anchor it into the brick. We, we tried to drill into this brick earlier with the masonry bit, and also with just a regular anchor with an impact, but the brick was so brittle, it was just crumbling and we couldn't get anything to hold.
1: The next question we need to resolve is, how did God write onto these two tablets of stone? Was it with a special pen? Let's look at Deuteronomy 9.10 for that answer. Then the Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed with the finger of God, with the exact words that the Lord spoke to you out of the fire on the mountain on the day of the assembly. So God wrote on the two tablets using the finger of God. This was not by a pen or even a chisel, but the finger of God. The Hebrew word for finger is etzba, which is in Strong's Concordance Dictionary as number 676. Again, you can get all these resources from the Ezekiel 33.3 website, where the podcast is located if you're listening and not watching the video podcast. Exodus 31.18, we can see again the finger of God wrote on these two stone tablets, which reads, When the Lord had finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, He gave him the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So to quickly summarize, the Ten Commandments received by Moses were two stone tablets written on by God using the finger etzba of God. Let's jump back to Colossians 2:14, which reads, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Do you see the first problem here, brothers and sisters? Colossians 2:14 mentions something handwritten, not finger-written. Let's look at the Greek and examine this even closer. The words handwriting of ordinances are the Greek words kairographon, which means handwriting, and dogma, which means decree, edict, or ordinance. Since we can confirm that handwriting is in fact the handwriting in the Greek, what is the word dogma referring to in the Greek? Is this word dogma, which means decree, edict, or ordinance, referring to the Ten Commandments? because if it isn't, then we can't actually say that the 10 commandments given to Moses were nailed to the cross, can we? That would be something else that was nailed to the cross. When we look at the word dogma, we can see it has a root word, which is dokio. Dokio is number 1380 in the Strong's Concordance, which means to have an opinion or to seem. So I repeat, the root word of dogma points us to dokio, which means to have an opinion or to seem. This certainly doesn't sound like the word commandment. We can see that dokio is used in Matthew 3 and 9, and it's used referencing to thinking or supposing. This word dokyo actually shows up a lot in the Gospels, used in regards to thinking, supposing, or seeming. Let's take a look at how dogma is used, since that is the word that's really in question with the verse in Colossians. Dogma shows up in five places in the entire New Testament. To be fair, I'm going to read every verse, so we aren't left guessing what its meaning and usage is. We see it in Luke 2.1, Acts 16.4, Acts 17.7, Ephesians 2.15, and lastly in Colossians 2.14, which is the verse that we have been analyzing regarding the commandments being nailed to the cross. Starting with Luke 2.1, it reads, Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the whole empire. Acts 16.4 And while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering to them to keep the decrees decided on by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Acts 17.7 And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king named Jesus. So far we have three examples of the word decree being used but each time notice that these are coming from men such as caesar or the apostles of course these would all be handwritten now ephesians 2:15 is the nail in the coffin for proving the word dogma does not mean 10 commandments because it actually shows up in the same sentence as the word commandment as you can see though this verse is going to open up an even more interesting can of worms for us Ephesians 2 15 reads, By abolishing in his flesh the law of the commandments and decrees, he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. Now, brothers and sisters, we're getting somewhere. We can see the words law of commandments, which in the Greek is nomos, meaning law, and entole, which means an injunction, an order, or a command. The Greek word used for commandment is not dogma but entele we can validate this by looking in matthew 519 which reads so then whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments entele and teaches others to do likewise will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven the word commandments in this verse is entele So if we were actually reading that the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross, in Colossians, we wouldn't see the word handwritten or chirographon in Greek because we know that God engraved these laws with his finger. And we wouldn't see the word decree or dogma, but the word entele, which means commandments, as we saw Christ himself say in 519 of Matthew. So does Colossians at all prove that the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross? Absolutely not. And good luck trying to nail two tablets of stone to a piece of wood. Go try that sometime, brothers and sisters. But we did open up another can of worms while doing this analysis. Let's go back to Ephesians 2.15, which reads, By abolishing in his flesh the law of the commandments and decrees, he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. If you wanted to argue the commandments were done away with, you'd have a much easier time if you quoted Ephesians 2:15 than to quote "Colossians," which really does nothing for your argument as you can see. Before I jump into Ephesians, let me set the stage a bit by saying the following: Can any of us keep the law handed down by Moses in the way that Christ our Savior did? Absolutely not. You can certainly try your best, but all of us will fail, and have already failed miserably throughout our lives let's look at first john 1 9 to 10 for some words which we can read on that which says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful to forgive us in our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us we'll compare first john to proverbs 20 and 9 which reads who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am cleansed from my sin? Or how about Job 15:14, which reads, what is man that he should be pure, or one born of woman, that he should be righteous? It's pretty clear that we have all sinned. We have all broken the law that was handed down to Moses. We lack the perfection that Christ had. We know that Christ didn't break the law because we are told so in verses like 1 Peter 2 and 22, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, and Hebrews 4 and 15, just to name a few. Looking at 1 Peter 2 and 22, it reads, "Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth." Now let's jump back to Ephesians 2:15 and start to piece together what Paul was telling us. Ephesians 2:15 reads, "By abolishing in his flesh." the law of the commandments and decrees, he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. If you look at the context of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is making comparisons to both the uncircumcised Gentiles and the circumcised in the flesh, the Jews. In other words, what Paul is comparing is blood descendants of Abraham to the rest of the world. Paul then parallels Jews and Gentiles with the words law of the commandments and decrees in Ephesians 2 and 15. The law is given to the Jews from their God, and the decrees came to the Gentiles through the kings or Caesars. Paul, being known as the Apostle of the Gentiles, was trying to explain that both parties, Jews and Gentiles, were united in Christ's death on the cross. In the body of Christ, Jesus was making one new man from these two and making peace between them. So is the law done away with now? Are we no longer under the law? Today, we are under grace, not under the law. Let's look at what Paul wrote in Romans six fourteen: For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. We see this idea of grace being mentioned again in John 1.17, which reads, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. There was an original covenant, an agreement with God that came through Moses, and then came a new covenant. A new agreement through Jesus Christ the covenant or agreement which was made with Moses was one the people did not keep as we can see in Hebrews 8 9 which reads it will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not abide by my covenant and I disregarded them declares the Lord we can see here in Hebrews the Israelites did not abide in the covenant they did not hold up their end of the deal what was the covenant agreement that they were supposed to keep? Deuteronomy 5, will shed some light on that. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 5one to 8, so that way it's very clear what exactly that covenant was. Then Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I declare in your hearing this day. Learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. He did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke with you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord, because you are afraid of the fire and would not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below, or the waters beneath. There should be no question that the covenant made on Mount Horeb, or Sinai in some books, was to keep the Ten Commandments handed to Moses, the law of God. But the Israelites broke that covenant, as we've already seen. In the world of man, if you make an agreement, and you break that agreement, we typically say, deals off because you or one of the parties didn't hold up their end of the agreement. The same happened with the Israelites and God. They didn't keep these laws, and so the covenant was broken. Through Jesus Christ came a new covenant, a new agreement. During the Last Supper in the book of Matthew, starting with chapters 26, verse 27, we read, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins here we see the covenant is the blood of jesus christ interestingly enough we can see something very similar all the way back in the days of moses which is communicated in the book of hebrews which reads hebrews 9 19. For when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. Hebrews 19.20 says, Saying, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. The blood of the covenant at that time was within unblemished animals that were sacrificed, but when Christ was crucified, that animal sacrifice came to an end, because Christ was sinless. He committed no wrong, and there was no need for the continuous sacrifice of animals to cleanse the people of their wrongdoings. For those of you who don't understand why animals were killed at all, it is because we were told by God that sin leads to death. In other words, when a man or woman would go against the commands of God, there would be death. This was supposed to deter us from using our free will to commit acts of evil. The problem with giving a creature free will is that they can disobey, and that is exactly what happened. The first act of disobedience occurred all the way back in the Garden of Eden, relating to the sin of Adam and Eve, disobeying God's command not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We can see the very first sacrifice of any animal in Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve sinned, they realized their nakedness. They covered themselves with fig leaves, but following, the Lord God made them garments of skin, as we just read. That means that an animal was obviously killed. Since we serve a God that never lies, and sin leads to death as we read in Romans 6.23, something had to die in place for those who broke a command of God. That is the entire reason for animal sacrifice in the bible if mankind didn't disobey using their free will we wouldn't have needed any animal sacrifice nor would we have needed christ to sacrifice himself for us that's the problem with free will brothers and sisters it's a double-edged sword god loved us so he gave us free will but he knew that gift would inevitably be abused the heavens already had a plan for when that day came And it started with the sacrifice of innocent animals, where the death we deserved was transferred to them. It was finished with a perfect sacrifice, being Jesus Christ, who committed no wrong, but was still killed on our behalf. And it is his blood now that cleanses us. I hope this starts to piece together things in your mind now. The suffering that Christ experienced was really supposed to be ours. And I hope that you can see how Christ became our sacrificial lamb. This, brothers and sisters is the new covenant a covenant that was made through the blood of Christ and his crucifixion on the cross he literally died for our wrongdoings before we even heard the gospel and knew anything about what is right or what is wrong our faith in him and that amazing feat he accomplished on the cross is where our grace can be found we are not under the law but we are under grace but what does that mean does that mean now that Christ died so we are free to sin Let's ask Paul, because he was the one who wrote it. Romans 6:14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Did everyone notice what was said in Romans 6:14 at the end of the verse? Because I think most churches are completely missing this part of the teaching. It says... Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. In other words, should you continue to sin because you are not under the law, but grace? Paul says, no. So then what are we doing? This is where the deception comes in. I will repeat, this is where the deception comes in. Look at where the law is today. It was moved into our hearts. Hebrews 10, 15, and 16 reads, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this first he says this is the covenant I will make with them after those days declares the Lord I will put my laws in their hearts and inscribe them on their minds the law was written by the Spirit on our hearts when we were baptized and appealed to God for his Holy Spirit this law which was on two tablets of stone now lives in our hearts inscribed into our minds which is our conscience in other words The baptized believer through the Holy Spirit convicting the heart knows in their mind when they are committing an action that is contrary to God and they feel guilty. This is much deeper than two tablets of stone because this is a circumcision of the heart. We see this again in Romans 2. Romans 2.15 reads, Since they show that the work of the law was written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts either accusing them or defending them. We can clearly see. That Paul knew this as we started this podcast by defining which books Paul wrote Paul wrote Romans Galatians and Colossians so brothers and sisters let's put the whole formula together and see where the deception lives we had a covenant an agreement with God through Moses received at Mount Horeb called the Ten Commandments which was broken and each time that happened animals were sacrificed as we saw all the way back to Eden before Moses We have a new covenant or new agreement through the blood of Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice that occurred on the cross and those who have faith in Christ have this grace that Paul spoke of. Was this grace so that we could sin? In the words of Paul in Romans 6, certainly not. The law is now found in our hearts. In other words, if we love Jesus Christ, And what he did for us the guilt we feel in our spirit will push us to keep these ten commandments even though we don't have two tablets of stone being held over our heads anymore we do it out of love which we have for christ and what he did for us john 14 15 couldn't have said it better when it reads if you love me you will keep my commandments the question now is and i put this on to my listeners do you love christ do you love him with your heart or is it just with your words? This is the deep question you need to ask yourself. What I mean by that is, do you continue in your sins? Do you continue to break the Ten Commandments written on your heart? Or do you finally repent? Do you finally change your mind? Do you finally stop and break this demonic spell once and for all? I know that many of you listening to this are starting to break the spell if you made it this far into the podcast, and you've been paying close attention. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not under the law, we are under grace. But are you going to continue to break the law? Hopefully, like Paul, the answer is, certainly not. Are there any commandments we can break, or any commandments that Christ said, ah, that one isn't so important? No. As a matter of fact, Christ said so himself. In Matthew 5.19 we read, So then, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do likewise will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. How about James 2.10? Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking them all. I'll say that again. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So if you break one of the commandments, you are guilty of breaking all of them. And those of you who are teaching this to others, pastors and other servants of Christ, I'm looking at you now, you will be called the least in heaven. Church leaders across the world, if you are being convicted by the Spirit right now and hearing my words, why don't you speak with your elders and deacons today and fix this? I think you know what I'm talking about. What's going on with Sunday? Sunday was not the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So what is this Lord's day that entered the churches? Are you sure you've got the right Lord? Did anyone happen to notice that St. Peter's Basilica faces east during the Catholic Mass? Isn't this where the tradition of Sunday came from? Wasn't this under Constantine, who wasn't baptized until he was nearly dead? Didn't Ezekiel mention in his vision that in the future men would have their backs towards the most holy place in the west and be facing the sun which rises in the east? Are we living that deception right now? Sure, you're under grace, but do we break the law that was written on our hearts? Certainly not, says Paul. So pastors and people of the body of Christ, what are you doing? You break one commandment, you break them all, correct? You teach this deception, and you'll be called the least. And most importantly, most importantly, if you love Christ, will you keep his commandments? Will you keep all of them? Will you keep the Sabbath? Will you keep all of them, or will you keep the traditions of man that keep you trapped in sin? I thought that we were dead to sin. I thought the entire purpose of the baptism was that you were to die in your sins as Christ died on the cross. So why do we commit sin every week for the sake of an old tradition? Is it worth it? Does that mean that we join the Adventist Church? Not by any means. I'm not an Adventist. I'm just one disciple of Christ who doesn't belong to any organized church movement who recognizes truth i'm a brother to all who are on the same path regardless of what physical building you learn this message each denomination has its flaws and in time i will try to address them all but is sunday the sabbath absolutely not it's the lord's day and it's not the lord jesus christ and the breaking of bread is not going to fix this so don't go there with those scriptures the sabbath is on saturday The Sabbath was always Saturday, from sundown to sundown. And we will do that in another study. But for now, I'm just trying to convict the hearts of my listeners with one spirit that we share and ask, do you love Christ? And do you love him enough to keep the law? All of it. Will you fail in keeping the law? Absolutely. You are not anywhere near as perfect as the Son of God. But does that mean you're not even going to try? Doesn't your heart convict you? Don't you feel guilt? Does a parent teach their child, son, I know you're not going to score 100% on your next exam, so don't even try. Does that really make sense? Pastors and church leaders, this is the deception being taught. Since we aren't under the law, but under grace, let's not even try to keep the law, even though our love of Christ is validated through keeping the commandments to the best of our ability. Is Sunday to the best of our ability, or is that a deception that started as far back as Constantine? Have we found ourselves subtly worshiping the sun as was done in Babylon? When the angel in Revelation said, come out of Babylon, come out of confusion, could that mean to step out of these church traditions that are rooted in confusion? A mixing with truth and lie? First John 1, 5, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Why are we mixing truth with lie? I thought we serve Christ who is rooted only in truth let's pull out the lie and serve Christ in the same way he served us which was not a mixture of truth I hope these words have convicted the one spirit we share pastors church leaders disciples we have some work to do but if your heart is in this we know what has to be done we can't keep a tradition of lawlessness the blood of Christ was there for our mistakes but the sacrifice was not for the dishonest traditions of men. We have to break this deceptive routine and make it right with God. We need to repent, and I will add pastors and church leaders out there to my prayers, because I know this will not be easy. But this was not what the sacrifice on the cross was for. You may lose some of your flock, but the question becomes, were they ever really adopted sons of God in the first place? I send my blessings to everyone who has heard these words. I strongly encourage you to share this podcast with your local pastor or church leader. Let's work together and rebuke Sunday once and for all, because it was never rooted in truth. If you try to turn the tide in your local congregation and you find yourself unsuccessful, it may be time to finally leave Babylon. Do not subject yourself to the coming plagues. May the Spirit shared with Christ, His Father, and the disciples convict your hearts and do what is right. Thank you for listening.
0: For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Brothers and sisters, the sword is coming. if you hear the watchman's call please repent and seek out jesus christ there is still time check out our website at ezekiel333.com for more podcasts videos and powerful articles that at the name of jesus every knee shall bow